Wednesday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. The morning after, a big victory for the Toronto Raptors as the Raps following their game on Sunday. Bit of a rough one against the Portland Trailblazers, needing to get back on track, and they do just that with a decisive victory over a very good team in the Eastern Conference, the Charlotte Hornets, as Toronto picks up the win 125-113. In fact, even in spite of the 12-point victory, Jonesy, the final score not necessarily indicative of the dominance that the Raptors showed for most of the game, but especially kind of uh, mid-third quarter and on. The Raptors go into the half up 15. They come out a little bit flat and see their lead pretty quickly diminish down to three, and before the end of the third quarter, they're up 21, go into the fourth leading by 19, go up by as many as 22, and eh, dare I say cruise to the 12-point victory, shooting 52% with three players going for 24-plus in Ananobi, Siakam, and Trent with 32. And now a game above 500 getting set for the Bulls tonight on the back-to-back in Chicago. Like That was a fantastic all-around performance without Fred Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes in the lineup. It sure was, Eric. Um, you know, and I was looking at that third quarter that you talked about. Um, the Raptors only shot 41%. They were, they were 7 of 17 in the quarter. Still managed to put up almost 39 points. Um, because what do you know? They got to the free throw line. Things kind of evened out in the third quarter. 13 of 14 from the line in, in the third quarter. And... Uh, uh, you know, Charlotte shot the ball better, but uh, the, the the free throw discrepancy uh, kind of evened out a little bit. And the Raptors Raptors got to the line and, and did some damage. And it was kind of the perfect team for Toronto to see without Scotty and uh, Fred. Because Charlotte was going to play that, uh, you know, that, that gambling defense, that, that I call it the Las Vegas defense, where you... You roll the dice. You gamble for steals and 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 traps. And if you get past that first line of defense, it's it's sometimes pretty easy. Um, the Raptors made it look easy at times, um, but but I th- I thought they did a really good job overall. I mean, you look at the the scoring. They they'd had their issues scoring, and and last night they put up a buck twenty five. Um, their defense was okay last night. It's going to have to be a little bit better tonight. Uh, we still don't know the status of everybody, but it was good to get a win and stay, you know, stay above above the watermark. That's what we keep looking at. Uh, right now, the Raptors a game above 500, as you said, and they sit in the eight hole. And it looks like there's going to be a fight there from, uh, I think probably seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There, there mm-hmm. seems to be a little bit more separation now, one to six, and they'll kind of fight it out for positioning up there. But, you know, if the Raptors are looking at a play-in scenario, I don't think there's anybody down there they're afraid of. I, I, I don't think so at all. They've they, they beaten Charlotte. They've beaten Boston. They, they won the season series against Washington. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anybody they're afraid of down there. If they're in seven or eight, it's one game to the playoffs. If they're in nine or ten, it's two. Uh, and and I really think if they're healthy and they get in, it'll be good experience for the young guys, for 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 Barnes, for uh, you know Champagny, 
uh, Achua, some of these guys. It'll be real good experience for them playing alongside guys that have made the run all the way to the top of the mountain. And they're going to be a scary out. They could be a really scary out for, you know, a Milwaukee. Or, by the way, Milwaukee has never beaten Toronto in a playoff series. Or, um, you know, if they happen to, to get Cleveland, who's young themselves in key spots, with the exception of maybe Kevin Love. So just got to keep, you know, put yourself in a position to be in a position. Sure. Listen, how much do we talk about, uh, and I know we touched on it briefly yesterday, and you and I are in lockstep with this. Some in the audience maybe aren't, uh, and normally I, I, I like to see both sides, but I, I, I think they're wrong <laughs> when it comes to this point specifically. Playoff experience matters. I don't care if they get in and get swept. Those four games, even if you get blown out in all four, that is still playoff experience for a young Scotty Barnes. That is playoff experience for a Delano Banton insert player here. And that matters. Seeing what it's like in the postseason ultimately matters. So get me in. As you just said, get me a spot. The crazy yeah. thing I find, Jones, in, and maybe this is this is obvious because of the, the play-in and the fact that there is um, or there are so many more teams that are good now in the Eastern Conference. But you would have probably thought if you look back to even a season ago, a couple of seasons ago before the play-in, oh, if you're kind of down in the bottom and, and scratching Klon to get into the playoffs, oh, maybe you're dealing with, like, Detroit or Atlanta or, or a Cleveland team that might not be very good. I mean, heck, we had Bobby Marks on the show yesterday, and he admitted to us that they, they he and they, ESPN, had Cleveland 30th. Not just, like, 13th in the East. 30th. Dead last in the entire league. And they're the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. And I haven't even looked at what they'd yeah. be overall in the NBA. But point being, you think you'd be scratching clawing against some teams that maybe aren't that great, and you like to think, oh, maybe we're a little better. Now, you just laid it out. There is starting to get some separation with the top six, but you're going to be battling potentially, if it stays this way, against the Wizards and the Celtics, two teams that you probably thought were going to be playoff seeds. Certainly the Celtics. Certainly the Celtics. Let alone an an up-and-coming Charlotte team that's you know acquired and done a good job of putting together a roster of a lot of talent the last couple of seasons. And the Knicks, where they were last year. The Hawks, where they were last year going to the conference finals. These are the teams, you know, those five, six teams you're going to have to beat and, and battle against. You could probably make the case that you thought every single one of them was going to be a top five, six playoff seed this year. Or damn yeah. close, Right. Does, yeah, it doesn't work like that, though. You know, and I, as we talked to Bobby Marks about yesterday, a team like Atlanta, uh, they had great success last year. Uh, you know, they, they, they made a midseason coaching change and had a great run, and sometimes that doesn't always happen. Uh, you know, they, they make a midseason change and they get to the conference final. I don't know, for whatever reason or other, there's part of me that just thinks that a young team, and they all got paid in the offseason, thinks, okay, uh, we're going to get back there again. And they, they maybe don't realize, forgot how tough it was at the start when they were scratching and clawing under Lloyd Pierce. And when a veteran coach in Nate McMillan took over, he held them accountable. Or I shouldn't say Lloyd didn't. Held them maybe more accountable because of his experience. And they make a run. They just, I, 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 they just figure, well, it's going to be like this again. We're, we're good to go. The New York Knicks... Even last year, man, they did a really good job. And I thought they overachieved. I really, really did. And 
both of those teams. They're not sneaking up on anybody this year. You know, Indiana was in uh, a play-in scenario last year. Look at them. They're 17-31. and 31. And, and teams that weren't in it last year have jumped up and jumped in. Cleveland, Toronto, uh, you know, they, they're, they're teams that, that weren't in it last year. And, and now Chicago, now they're in the mix. So uh, I think some of those teams need to, to take stock. But give me the play, like, to your point, Eric, give me the playoff experience. Give me a look. There's an old adage. I don't always believe it, but it says you can't take, you can't take someone somewhere where you've never been. Well, in the case of the Raptors, three guys have been there. Four guys have been there. So the other guys, when you get into the playoffs, if you get in, or I should hopefully, if you're a Raptor fan, when you get in, ride with those guys. Fred, Pascal, OG, Chris Boucher, because they know. Nick Nurse, his entire staff, all of them. Adrian Griffin, Nate Bjorkren, John Goodwillie. The, the, they, they, those guys all know. They all know what it's like. So... Uh, give me the experience and and keep your eyes and ears open for this ride. Jonesy, I, I don't like that old adage, and I'll tell you why, that, that saying you just gave. Because if anybody's listening, I've never been to Hawaii. So if anybody else out there has not been to Hawaii and you want to take me to Hawaii, let's go. Let's let's hop on the jet and let's go right now. I'm 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 down. You don't need to have been. Just take me. I'm sure my wife will understand. Let's go. We're going to Hawaii. Anybody out there? I, I, we're going. I, I know you've been, so you can't context. take me. You've been there, right? <laughs> yeah, a sport, I think a sporting context, E. Oh, okay, context. sporting context. Although, okay. Even, in, even in a sporting context, I don't believe it. I, I don't always believe it. So. I guess, like, I mean, I'm trying to think of when would the last time Oh, we'd have to look this up. I'm gonna have to. I'm. I'm, I'm gonna create work for Bothell or or, or Lance. When was Uh-oh. the last time an NBA champion was crowned with somebody on their team that had either a zero playoff experience? That's impossible. Or B, like I can't imagine that's happened. Or B, with nobody else on the roster that had won a championship. Hmm. We'd have to look that up. Because obviously the Raptors oh, came was, very yeah. close. The Raptors came very close. If you know, but but they had the ultimate piece in Kawhi Leonard, who helped bring them to that championship. But that would have been the only guy, right? And the Raptors were, were, you know. Are you t- are you including the coaching staff too? I was only talking players. If that's okay, um, I wonder if we could look at some of the Warriors' runs when they became the fir- the first one. True, yeah. But then again, they had Steve Kerr, right? But then again, they had Steve Kerr. I'm just, and yeah, I'm just and, thinking and if, off and if the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, and if you're, that, no, it's a good point because maybe we should be including coaches then because if you're talking about somebody bringing you there, well, I mean, at the very least, with no disrespect intended to the assistant coaches, if it's the head coach, the man in charge, the person in charge, uh, that counts for something, I would assume. So, yeah, maybe we should be including coaches. So I, I, I wonder the last time if it's happened or if it's happened. I, at some point in history, I would assume it has, but... You know, to your point, from a you know putting my my bad Hawaii joke aside, um, from a sporting perspective, I've got to assume it's pretty rare. It hasn't happened a lot. I mean, if we looked across sports in general, 
uh, to, to find a team that makes it all the way through to the championship game and then winning a title without a single player on their team or a head coach that hasn't previously done so with the same or I, different organization. That, that'd be pretty rare. I would like to, I would like to guess it was back in the 70s. Because even when I think of Jordan's teams, they had Phil Jackson, who was a coach, and he won a championship with the Knicks. Um, maybe the Pistons teams in the in the 80s. Maybe that maybe that Isaiah Thomas crew uh, when they won their first championship. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it, it couldn't have been the Lakers because they had Kareem. Uh, and then, like, nobody won the title, right? It was either Boston or L.A., right? Pretty much. Either Boston much. or the Lakers. And, and, I, and I go back to the 70s, and long before Boffo or Lance were even a twinkle and a gleam in their dad's eyes, probably, um, uh, and even you, for that matter. But when I was in high school in the 70s, I think of some of the, the, great, uh, the great teams, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the Sonics, Lenny Wilkins Sonics. Uh, go back just a little before that in in like the Knicks in the '70s. Like that's the era that I'm that I'm thinking. Uh, you know, there there are some teams back there that might have might have pulled it off. The Blazers in '77. With Bill Walton, uh, Maurice Lucas, Bobby, uh, Dave Twardzik, Bobby Gross, Jack Ramsey was their coach. I don't know if there was anybody. So that's that's kind of where I'm thinking. But I don't know. That's a deep dive, Eric. That's a that's a that's a Paul Jones two in the morning on the flight from uh, <laughs> the the flight from Minnesota to Phoenix. Knowing that it's an off day in Phoenix, he's going to wake up in the sunshine, and it's okay. Like get the get the computer out, turn the light on, and just start combing over rosters. And then I'll get sidetracked. Oh yeah, Maurice Lucas went to Marquette. The late Maurice Lucas. Oh look, oh well, Bill Walton's a UCLA guy. Does that count? They won championships all kind. Where where do we stop with this? How far back do we go? Um, so yeah, that's that's. Uh, that's a deep dive right there. I wonder about Rick Barry's teams with the Warriors back in, I mean, they swept the series back in uh, back in 75, I believe, that people thought they had no right winning. I wonder who was on that team. Al Adels was the head coach. So I'm thinking, okay, Jonesy, I might have an if I had to throw a you. dart, uh -oh. I might have an answer for uh -oh. you, okay? And Did I, it you looks phone like Elias? No, no. I, I, Did you I phone Googled Elias, while you were talking. I, I Googled while you were talking. In fact, I just saw in our group chat, that Boffo, I think, just sent the same article that I just found. So, so I'll, Boff, I found it on my own, but I'll still give you credit because you were, you and I like found it almost at the at the same time. And and we are guilty of maybe because we're getting old here, we're guilty of either having a very short memory or um, it's not totally answering the question that we were asking or or, or pontificating about here. How about just last okay. year? All right, just last year. I'm gonna, I I I don't do this often, folks. I'm going to read word for word uh, on the air for a couple of paragraphs here. Um, last year, Suns forward Jay Crowder is the only player in the 2021 NBA Finals 
who has ever played, played. in the finals yeah. before. Okay, played, but not won a championship. But at least he's played. So he was the only one on either side for the Bucks or the Suns to have played in a finals. Next line. This is just the second time since the first finals that fewer than two players in the NBA finals had no finals experience. In 1977, nobody on the Portland Trailblazers or the Philadelphia 76ers had previously played in the NBA finals. And then there's a little side note to that, little 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 cliff note. In 77, 76ers guard Henry Bibby won a title with the 1973 Knicks, but he didn't play in the 1973 finals. Uh, qualifier, I don't know. I don't know. So he was there. I think there, I get a Tommy point though. But he didn't play. I, I think I get a Tommy point, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot down the Phoenix Milwaukee uh, thing from last year. Wasn't Coach Bud an assistant with Popovich when they won it? Yes. But you're Who including the coaches. The this article was not including coaches. This, okay. They were talking okay. just players, but but yes. Okay. So now, yeah, if we really want to go on a deep dive, put Baffles googling to the test here. If you're including coaches, oh boy. Oh, boy. Because there is another part in this article that says uh, about, you know, for the first time, they're actually saying since 1971, because it says for the first time since 1971, no players in the NBA Finals have previously won a championship. This has happened just four times um, wow. since the first Finals. So 2021, Suns-Bucks. 1971, Bucks over Bullets. 1956, Philadelphia Warriors over the Fort Wayne Pistons. And the previous year before that, 1955, Syracuse Nationals over the Fort Wayne Pistons as well. So, I mean, but it, I guess we're I guess we're going back to the Bucks over the Bullets in '71, maybe. I don't know. I think okay, I was a grade schooler, I've, so. Yeah. Well, I wasn't even born. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so. I was a grade schooler, so. Uh, yeah, but there it is. There it is. The point being, if you get into the playoffs, experience is valuable. Bottom line, right? Bottom yes. line. If you get in, it, if it you took get us a in, long way to get there, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> we were we were working for part marks on the essay question. So yeah, um, uh, give me the experience. Now it's a, and again goes back to my bottom line: winning is never a bad thing. I I I'm in lockstep with you on that one. And the Raptors again get the win last night. Over the Hornets, now just a game and a half back of the Hornets, who have lost two in a row, uh, Charlotte has. They sit at 26-22 and 22 in that seven spot. The Raptors in eight, that 23-22, and 22, just ahead of the Celtics, uh, who have two more wins, but also two more losses, and a big win for Boston last night. When I say big, I mean a throttling, oh. a throttling of the Sacramento Kings as they beat them by 53 points. And this might become like my new thing, like my daily check-in on the Sacramento Kings. Dude, they are terrible. They are horrific. And I don't know what you do to fix that because, again, I think it was in the Bobby Marks conversation yesterday, wasn't it, where we discussed how bad the Kings are and how bad they've been for a long time. And they've got good young pieces. Like, I don't mind. When I look at their team on paper, I go, that's a pretty good roster. And then I look at their record and I see them – at what, 18 and 31? Like, they're awful, and they've been awful for almost 20 years now since their last postseason appearance. 
I don't know what you do with that team because if you suddenly trade away a bunch of those young pieces and go what? You go the, the Oklahoma City wage and just acquire draft picks? No. But are you going to be able to acquire a star? Like if they go out and make a trade for Ben Simmons, first of all, I don't know if he's a big enough star to turn that team around. One. Two, I think he wants out in a year or two. Because if they don't suddenly just catch fire and start winning, Ben Simmons ain't sticking around in Sacramento. I don't know what you'd do with that team because they are terrible. Yeah, uh, and and it's too bad because they have minority ownership. Uh, he's passionate, and I know that from my brother and the connections with Sacramento. And like you said, they have some good young pieces. Uh, I, I, I passionate felt- fan base and community, great new building. Yeah. There's lots of things working for Sacramento. Absolutely. I, I, I feel badly. I mean, there's people on, on Twitter saying, move them to Vancouver. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 other, the other thing that, that really, that really kind of hurts when you look from afar is, like, there's good people out there, you know, in the, on the coaching staff. Doug Christie, Alvin Gentry, they've already, you know, it's already cost Luke Walton the job. Uh, you know, I was listening to our, our colleague Sean Grandy last night on the radio clips and the highlights of the game and Boston scores a bucket and Boston leads by 40 and Sean Grandy says and Alvin Gentry calls a timeout and Cedric Maxwell chimes in what for <laughs> <laughs> like, like just, <laughs> Max chimes in for what I call a timeout for what <laughs> tell the tell the staff at, at the garden leave the floor down we're gonna I don't care if the Bruins are playing tomorrow we're gonna run sprints like I just it's well, but the other part of the NBA is e. Nobody feels sorry for you. You're you're if you're a win and it crabs in a barrel, man. If it's time to get a win and I have to step on you to to get up to where I get to, well, that's that's the way it goes. So all I can say is the Kings better figure it out, or else there's uh, a lot more jobs and contracts going to be on the line. I mean, they're one of the the suitors for. Have we hit the moratorium yet with the the BS? from philadelphia that's appropriate right it's philadelphia and <laughs> we're talking about bs bs ben simmons we haven't well, hit the more trademark that, trade man. deadline <laughs> yeah yeah and uh sacramento was one of the teams being heavily heavily rumored for ben simmons so let me ask you this we shall see let me okay. ask you this you're a yeah, little bit i think Batman. we might have hit we might have hit we might have hit on this a little bit yesterday and I know it, I, I don't want to walk into the fantasy trade stuff, so you, you know, don't, don't say back to me, well, it depends what I have to give up. I'm just talking in general. If you were a president or general manager in the league right now, I, you can pick your team. I don't care which team you're, you're heading up, Jonesy. Do you want Ben Simmons on your team? Uh, do I want Ben Simmons on my team? Yes. Now mm-hmm. I do. Okay. Now I do because he is to the point where, and the and the first coach, uh, the first Raptor coach I remember talking about this was Butch Carter when he talked about Vince and Tracy, and how they were you know how good they were and how young and talented and he said something is going to have to happen to them, that that singes them that 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 burns them to the point where they become driven to get better. Okay. And we saw it. We saw it with both of them. You know, McGrady was not feeling the love in Toronto. He goes to Orlando and Houston, and and he blows up. And I was really pulling for the Spurs against the Heat. 
so so Mac so Tracy could get a, a title. He was on that roster with San Antonio, um, but it's happened to Ben. It's happened to Ben Simmons now. Something in his career has 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 touched him with a little fire. It's burnt him, and he doesn't want to go back and play in Philadelphia. Uh, I will bet you he is working on that jump shot. And if I get him in my organization, I trade for him. I'm going to hire a shooting coach and somebody to work with him and a and a mental coach, so he can, he's not afraid to take shots in a game and make moves and pull up. And then with everything else he has, his ball handling, his height, his rebounding, his defense, man, I got a franchise dude. I take him. I don't know so, if he'd be my number one, but I take him. All right. So maybe I should have asked the question differently because I, I don't think you changed my mind. Because um, my my answer would have been yes, I want him on my team. Yes, I take him. But perhaps the better question would be, what are you willing to give up? And then it's impossible to have that conversation without getting into fantasy type stuff. But that's I think where my apprehension is. If if you handed me the keys right now, I, I need to be realistic. Well, wait a minute. I need to wait a minute. Fair. Yeah. Go ahead. Without without getting into fantasy, if I'm if I'm a team and. Daryl Morey wants like a lousy team and Daryl Morey wants like uh, my best player who's young. Let's say he's second or third year in the league. He wants my yeah. best player and uh, my my first round draft pick, which is going to be really good. And maybe, um, you know, a couple other guys to fill out the roster. I'm doing that. Because I know what I, I, what do I always say to you, right? You take the seeds, mm-hmm. I'll take the tree. I'll take the tree. I know what I got in Ben Simmons, right? I, I know what I have. So I'd, I'd make the deal if they wanted draft picks or my best young player. And I, I see Ben Simmons with a higher ceiling or better than my best young player right now or my two best young players, go ahead. But if Daryl Morey wants some, somebody that's going to be a difference maker and help Joel Embiid right now, then he may not want to deal with me. So maybe there are deals out there, and he's just waiting for the right one. Oh, well, not ju- he is waiting for the right one. He's holding out for the right one. Yeah, I, 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 guess, it's, I guess in my brain, and maybe I've got to you know, shift the, the narrative or the attention in my brain, I guess I'm guilty of because we're we're in Toronto and we're looking at it from a Raptors perspective. I don't see and I don't even know if the Raptors would be interested. I just don't see a deal that I would do because I don't think right now uh I would want to be giving up Van Vliet or Siakam or Barnes. Um No. So then it, using that as the as the blueprint when I look at other teams like if I'm Sacramento, would I be willing to give up pretty much anybody on my roster? Absolutely. Yes. But to go back to now where I started with my original question, there would be apprehension on my behalf or on behalf of my organization that are you at the point in your career, Ben Simmons, where, to what you just said, Jonesy, you are simply motivated, a fire has been lit under you, and you want to come back and prove everybody wrong and prove that you are every bit the defensive all-star the playmaking all-star, but also somebody that now is a very reliable, capable, potentially deadly shooter as well because you've worked on your game? Or are you a guy that kind of whined, complained, malcontented his way out of, I just made up a word, out of a city and potentially, if things don't get done in the next couple of weeks, 
potentially sat out an entire season. I know you're not going to forget how to play basketball, but missing an entire season in your prime? I don't know if I'm willing to do that because what, what, who's to say that you're not going to do that to me then? Who's to say in another year or two you're not going to be happy with your situation with my team and you're going to do the exact same thing and try and force your way out and force your way somewhere else? So there'd be apprehension. Yeah. Hence the reason. I understand why Daryl Morey did what he did, and I totally respect that he did what he did. And I love the fact that a, a, an organization and, and that a, a management team is taking a stand against a player and, and, and playing that game of chicken and playing hardball. But I think it's going to end up being worse for both sides. I don't think either side is going to come out of this looking pretty because I don't think Ben Simmons to this day has ultimately gotten what he wanted. He's not playing basketball right now, for one. And he's not making money for two. So he's losing already in a bunch of different ways. And I think mm-hmm. Maury, the longer he waits to trade Ben Simmons, I think the less the package becomes and the less the return becomes because of people like me that might go, you know what, man? Like, no, I'm not giving you another superstar, all-star in return. I might give you picks. I might give you a couple of young players. But, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you two, three of my starters, or to your point, my best young piece and multiple picks and another piece or two off my bench. Like, no, this dude hasn't played for almost a year. Like, the price is a lot less now. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I can see both sides, E. I I can. And I I think that's why people are saying to to, to Daryl Morey, here's what I'm offering. And he's saying no. It's like, okay, well, sorry. That's all all I got. Yeah. I mean, isn't this the ultimate... Isn't this the ultimate barter job? Isn't this the ultimate, like, uh, go to the market and how much is the watch? Twelve bucks. Yeah, I, I got seven. Wow. <laughs> it's twelve. It's twelve. Well, all I got is seven. Come on, man. You're not going to get rid of that for twelve. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you and I have done this before. We have done this before in a different scenario, being on the road and trying to get into a... Uh, I can think of famously a college football game, a bowl game. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that one? And, uh, oh, the Peach Bowl. I, yeah, uh, uh, the Sugar Bowl. Sugar Bowl. Sugar oh, I thought bowl it was, okay. Was. Sugar, yeah. I thought it was a peach. It was, We've been to a couple, but anyways, and, yeah, Sugar Bowl. Yeah, and uh, folks, I had to have E stick with me, and uh, I, I pulled out my inner New York in the uh, bartering for the tickets. Guy no, I'm terrible. Said, uh, I fully know. admit I'm terrible. I like, it's, like said, it's fifty bucks. Will said, you take forty-five? Uh, sure. Okay, done. Jones is like, I'll give you twenty. Twenty? <laughs> I'm not. I'm terrible. I I fully admit. It's like I might go down five bucks, but after that, I'm like, I'm done. Okay, sure, whatever you say. And I'll the pay. guys, <laughs> and the guys like, and for our listeners, the guys there. Nope, the tickets are fifty bucks, and I I think I came in yeah at at twenty, and then I said, well, there was like, there's five of us here, and the guy had a mitt full of tickets and. 10 minutes before the game and the guy was like nope nope and he walked away i'm like okay man yo you want some salt with those because they're going to taste pretty good when you eat them if if you don't have any salt and and uh we got in didn't we we got in for a good price and we saw a heck of a game it was the sugar bowl the year katrina uh made the superdome a uh a large uh shelter and they moved the sugar bowl to the georgia dome in atlanta and we saw, uh, at, in college football terms, one of the greatest shows on turf. We saw West Virginia against Georgia. And West Virginia had Pat White and Steve Slayton. And, man, they were throwing that thing around. They called it basketball on turf. And, and I think, I think uh, it was the first college football game for some of our colleagues that were with us. 
And I think they got the full effect when there was probably a, an 82-year-old lady beside us dressed up in West Virginia Mountaineers <laughs> yeah. gear. I was going to say 95, that? but yeah. <laughs> oh, man, she was up yeah. waving her pom-poms, and, and our colleagues were like, <laughs> unbelievable. I said, hey, man, this is college sports in the U.S. It is religion. Season seats get handed down from generation to generation, and if you if your parents went to Auburn, uh, you would not pull somebody from Alabama out of the water if they were they were drowning and you were the last person around. Like that's 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 the way it goes. I mean, all you have to do is listen to in, in rivalry terms in the old days. All you have to do is listen to James Worthy lighting the cigar talking about the Celtics, right? Yep, that's a good point. You're right. You're right. Um, all right, uh, Alvin Williams Wednesdays. We're uh, we're a little bit late getting to Al, so we'll bring him into the mix next on Smith and Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Joining us on the line right now for his uh, regular visit on Wednesdays, it's time for Alvin Williams Wednesdays with the man, Alvin Williams. Al, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you? All Doing good, well, Al. Al. I, got, I, got some, I got something I want to ask you before we jump out the gate here. What was the rivalry like? We, we talk about rivalries. What was the rivalry like in your days? Because I know how what the Big East Conference was like between, with their history too, between Villanova and Georgetown. Take me inside that just a little bit. I'll tell you, because I, I know you were too, but I was a huge fan of Big John Thompson, Georgetown, how hard they played, the way they played, and they had a lot of kids that looked like me. So, like, yeah. I was a Georgetown fan. And then I found out Patrick Ewing was from the same hometown as my dad in Jamaica, and it just, like, it was it was lights out for me. Oh, uh, no, yeah. Are, are you talking about in the 80s or the 90s? Both, because it, 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 it started in the 80s, but it, it kept going, man. I know that. Yeah, no, I, you know... It was interesting because the first time I ever heard of Villanova, I think, being from that area, was in the 85 when they, when they beat uh, Georgetown in the finals. And that's just how, you know, out of, out of the world I was. Like, I didn't even know that this school that was 20 minutes from my house, you know, was in the finals. So I didn't really know. But after that, it was always something where you looked at the Georgetown-Villanova rivalry and you just looked at, you looked at how intense, all of that was back then. And to be honest with you, I looked at Georgetown and Syracuse as like even more intense because the players, I right. thought. But in my day, it was very intense. But all of those Georgetown teams, they, they were teams that was made up of physicality, um, intimidation. They tried to intimidate you a lot. And then, you know, AI came there, and he was the, the diamond around a bunch of rocks, right? He was he was just a diamond that, you know, he had a toughness as well. But all those players, whether it was Othella Harrison, all, all those guys, I can't even go with all the big names that they had that were physical. And then you had John Thompson there. So that even sparked the intensity of it. And when you know when you went in there to play against Georgetown University, you know, take part of my love for it, take aside my love. But you had to come out there and be intense. But the whole entire Big East back then, Jonesy, it was so intense. Like, Providence was a grown man team. They had Michael Smith. His nickname was the Animal. 
They had Eric Williams. Yeah. They had Troy Brown. They had Dickie Simpkins. These were grown men my freshman year. So, yeah. like, all of those teams were very intense. But Georgetown, Villanova, it, it, was, it was. It was really intense. The crowd was into it. I remember one time the Villanova crowd displayed something that wasn't favorable, you know, against AI. And John Thompson took the team off the court. And he's not going to play until they take that sign down, right? So it was a lot of things on and off the court when it came to Villanova and Georgetown. But I think across the Big East, a lot of teams had to pick up their games when you played against Georgetown and the John Thompson teams. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, um, I think this might actually be a, a, a perfect segue in some senses when you talk about rivalries and competitiveness and, and, and the fire in the belly and the attitude and the swagger on the floor and the, the win-at-all-cost mentality. And I mean, I can keep going on here. Uh, there are a lot of players that, that epitomize that and that symbolize that. I'd be hard-pressed to think of too many that would be ahead of Kobe Bryant on that list. And um, crazy to think that it's already been two years, two years to the day today uh, that, that he and his daughter and, and so many others uh, you know, passed in that horrific accident. Um, listen, we've talked to you a lot about Kobe over the years, but, but maybe just speaking to that point, to the, to the, to the topic we're discussing, the, the fire and the competitor that was Kobe Bryant. Like, where would you put him among the competitors and the, the fiercest that you faced on the floor? Um, no, I don't. I mean, of course, we know the stories. And, you know, like anything else, the stories, they, they will grow and they will grow into something else. And we can make it how we want to make it. But Kobe, Kobe was always, to me, to me, it wasn't much different than anyone else from a standpoint of competing. Like everyone back then, you, you, you want to race against somebody. You want to slap box somebody. Everything was competition. It was, we had fun doing it, but everything was a competition. You weren't going to lose in anything, right? And I think Kobe, you know, he, had, he was cut from that same cloth. But what separated Kobe was his determination. Um, I think everyone want to go out there and compete at a high level. But his determination, his preparation, his stubbornness, his belief, his confidence at a young age, his versatility, his, uh, he was worldwide. He got he had a bunch of cultures in his life. He was, he was, you know, he was a forever learner. So a lot of those things that was made him, helped him in his success. But from being a competitor, I mean, a lot of a lot of us love to compete. But he just went a different way from his mentality. His mentality was one where he talked about the Mamba mentality. But you know, a lot of people looked at it as a selfish mentality early on. And then when you start putting wins together, you start doing things. Now you can turn it into something else. But you know, he he was he was a special player, special talent. But I think his belief and his drive and his determination to you know identify at such a young age what he wanted to be and what he wanted to get out the game and going going for that and at no cost what he was going to he wasn't going to leave un, any stone unturned he wasn't going to let anyone tell him what not to do whether it was a coach whether it was another superstar player he just had that mindset so um competitive wise he was right up there with the best of them i'm sure or much of them but his determination and mindset was which is, is what separated him al he's a he's a philly guy and his dad i remember Old, being old enough to watch his dad as as uh, he, his dad wore twenty three uh, for for the Sixers, mm-hmm. uh, how much how much of that did he 
I mean, I, I didn't know his father at all. I don't know if you know anybody that knew Jelly Bean Joe. Um, I mean, it takes it takes a special person to make it to the NBA, especially back in those days when there was an expansion and the rosters were smaller and, and all of that. How much do you think of that he got from his dad? And, and, you know, his dad determined to play going over to Italy and Kobe being, you know, partially raised there. How, how much do you think came from that family, the family side in that sense? Man, I'm sure, I'm sure most of it came from you. They know, you know, as a young, as a young kid, a young boy growing up, looking at your dad, you know, that's your first idol. That's your first chance of witnessing, you know, a superhero, especially if your dad is in your life and present and you watch. And even some fathers that's not in their lives, the, the sons always look to their dad for being that superhero. So I'm sure what he saw from his dad helped spark a lot. And some things that he probably didn't see probably sparked a lot. But Kobe, Kobe's different. You know, Kobe, Kobe's very different. But also, you know, I, I, his dad actually coached us, our high school all-star team. So that's when I first met Kobe, when Kobe was about seventh grade. We were juniors juniors and seniors in high school. Myself, Rashid Wallace, Big Mark Jackson that played in the NBA, um, Katino Mobley. All of these guys, his dad coached us. So Kobe was in the gym with us at an early age. And then, you know, me being a Villanova, Kobe lived five minutes from campus. And his dad was coaching at LaSalle. So his dad was very influential to a lot of young people on our on our Sunny Hill teams growing up. And that was just something. Hello? We got you, Al. We got you, Al. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so that was just something where, you know, We've been in there. They've been in our lives. We've been in their lives for a long, long time. So I'm, I'm sure, to your point, watching his dad, seeing his dad growing up in that environment with other pro athletes. You look at Adele Curry. Del Curry, of course, you know, and Steph Curry and his and Seth Curry. They've been around this game for a long time. They've seen the workouts. They've seen the talent level. They've witnessed it. They lived it. And you look how those guys are competitors. They are highly competitive. They're highly successful. And I think Kobe Bryant comes from that same type of tree, you know, when he had a father that he can watch every day, emulate, and watch other people around him just become as successful as he become. Speaking with Alvin Williams, um, Al, we want to we want to play something for you actually right now. It's 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 kind of on topic uh, to um, you know somebody we we chatted with yesterday. I don't know if you you heard uh, the show at all. I know you were in town getting set for the broadcast last night, and I, I know you're going to know this voice. I know you know this man well. One of your former teammates, um, Lance. Maybe we can play that right now uh, for for Alvin. I, I, I just love Al Boogie's. I love his attitude. I just love him. His hunger for the game. I mean, he was like a sponge, soaking it all up. Um, and when you know you got a guy like that, that's and as a coach, you know, you dream for that type of player. And you know, Al would just wait for his opportunity and waiting for his his, uh, his time, you know, in terms of getting on the court. He never soaked. Uh, he never pouted. I mean, of course he was upset because, you know, any competitive player, you know, wants to be out on the floor. But he waited his time. And then when he got his time, his opportunity with Lenny Wilkins, um, and he made the most of it. I mean, here it is. You know, they made the – went on to make a game away from – or a shot away from making, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals. And he was one of the main reasons of that. And – Al's a team player. He knows how to get everybody involved as well as how to be that leader on that floor. And he's, he, he, I mean, that's one of the reasons why 
they had that success as we was, you know, teaching that we was, you know, boy, spilling out that information, trying to pass it forward. He was right there as again, you know, taking it all in and ready for his opportunity and took full advantage of it. Al, Muggsy Bogues hitting on a lot of things we've just been discussing and talking about you as the competitor that you were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I had Muggsy. I had D. Brown. I had Big Mark Jackson. I had Oakley, Del Curry, Bill Christie. Like, all of these players, man, that I was fortunate enough to have that were giving me the information, letting me, telling me, Stay patient, young fella, because they saw the one thing I knew I could offer every single day was in my attitude and my work ethic. And I, I feel like that's what people respect. They, they respect their work ethic. They respect if you treat people with respect. So that was always my approach. I knew I knew I had the game, and I just had to wait my turn, and I learned that in college. You know, I learned going through that experience in college. And it, it's funny because I coach a high school team now, and a lot of the information that I'm giving them, it comes from Muggsy. It comes from D. Brown. It comes from Mark Jackson. It comes from all of these people that I've played with, played against. And the attitude is just a little different. Everybody wants it right now. But I had to learn to be patient. I had to learn to, you know, absorb the knowledge. But I was also blessed to be able to play alongside of people I looked up to. I looked up to Muggsy. I looked up to D. Brown. I remember going to see D. Brown in 1990 slam dunk contest. My dad took me to, right? I, I remember that. I remember seeing Charles Oakley. So I was very fortunate. And it was easy for me to uh, to absorb that information. But it wasn't hard. It wasn't easy to watch. But um, when Coach Wilkins got there, and you know how I feel about him, he um, gave me an opportunity, and I was I was ready to take advantage of it. Damn knees, my damn knees just conked out though. Right, right when I was feeling, right when I was feeling like I was about to take the next step in my NBA career, as far as confidence, ability, um, notoriety, even my knees just my knees just didn't pan out the way they needed to pan out. But hey, that's part of the career and that's part of the sport. But Muggsy and those guys were very they 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 were my lifesavers, man, and I, it was a blessing to play with them. Al, I hear you. It's like is it's like the the kid at the the middle school dance that waits for the last song to ask a girl to dance, and she finally says yes, and the, <laughs> the dance is over, and then the lights come on, and the he's like, "Oh man, you mean I could have? Come on, man, you mean I could have been? I could I could have been doing this the whole time?" And man, uh, you should have been there earlier. Stairway to heaven. You would have had eight minutes. Come on. And, well, but, and but, you know what though? You know what though, Jonesy? That tells you. You got to go for it early. You got you can't wait. Yes, sir. Right? You can't yes, wait. Yes, sir. And you have to go for it. And, and I know in my case, I look at today's game and how the science is better. You know, the, the preparation. Everything is much better and more advanced. And I just remember after a season, I probably would take, honestly, a week off. And I'm back at playing. And we just played. We didn't do much of the, the massages and the soft tissue work and all of this, y'all, all of this stuff. But – we we would play, and I I wouldn't take time off. I wouldn't take time off. My knees would be hurting, and but that was part of it. Learning how to try to play through pain, but not knowing the damage, not having an understanding or the knowledge of recovery. So I think about those things. I think about what if, but I also wouldn't trade it for the world because I was doing something that I love and something that I believed I, at that time that I would die for. So that was hey, part Al. of my job, man, and that's why it was so enjoyable. 
We lost him um, a couple years ago, and it, w it was always a rite of passage for Eric and I whenever we went to San Antonio. Uh, and and, he, and he, had, he had a stroke in Toronto and spent a lot of time in the hospital. And I'm talking about Stan Albeck, the late Stan Albeck. Mm -hmm. And I would, go and, I would go and visit Stan in the hospital every Friday night on the way down to the, on the, way down to the arena. I remember Stan sitting there. Uh, with uh, cross-legged on the bench and sitting there talking to him, and he and he kept looking at his watch. And I I remember saying to him at one point because you were on the floor working out. I said, uh, "Is are are you good, Stan? Do you have to go?" He's like, "No, I'm just watching Alvin." And after a while, he would tell one of the ball boys. He would yell at him and say, "That's <laughs> enough. That's enough. Get him out." And the mm -hmm. kid that was rebounding for you looked at Stan and stopped passing you the ball. And you looked at Stan as like, no, nah, man, like save some energy for the game. <laughs> I, yeah. I distinctly remember that happening. And, and, and there's another guy, too, another one we've lost. Uh, Stan was, was what, what he was one of Lenny's confidants. And what a great what a great mentor he was, too, for a lot of people in Toronto. Yeah, no, he I remember that day in that locker room right when he had a stroke and it was right before a game. We were preparing for a game, and it, it was just one of the it was, it was the most craziest, bizarre things that I've watched. I thought he actually passed away that day, and I remember just going to the hospital and seeing him here in Toronto and, you know, just spending some time with him by his bedside after practice or early before practice or trying to get in there before practice. But Stan was one of those guys. He had that work ethic as well as a coach, and I'm sure yes. early on, right? So – and and once again, he's one of those guys. That Coach Will, the game. I'll be sitting right next to Coach or whatever. He's like, all right, it's time to put Alvin in. Like he he was another guy that was an advocate for me. So I love Sam. But that was, you know what, Jones? That was it. I didn't know any other way. I didn't grow up any other way where whatever you wanted, or whatever you wanted to become better at, you you had to work at it. You had to work at it, and that's the only thing. I wasn't the player that could take a practice off. I wasn't the player that could not work out because my body was hurting, because I didn't feel right going into the game. If I didn't feel prepared and I could give my team the best I could give them, then I just didn't feel right mentally. So I had to get out there three hours before the game and, and get my shots up, or I had to practice every day because I didn't have that luxury. I wasn't as talented, and I had to, I had to do those things. So, But once again, those are the things that I would never give up for anything, and those are the things I can speak to when it comes to trying to achieve what you want to achieve due to hard work. Al, we appreciate the time, as always, man. Um, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you, hopefully see you before then, but otherwise we'll get you back again in a week for Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Have a good one, man. See you guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Al. Alvin Williams, Sportsnet television analyst. Raptors getting set for the Bulls tonight on the second night of the back-to-back -back <laughs> following their victory last night over the Charlotte Hornets. We'll step aside for a moment. And uh, come back with more Smith & Jones. And a quick reminder to make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.